Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Afton, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. We are always privileged to have with us a man who has been in a number of interesting trenches in that war for some time. His name is Bill Walton. He is a former financial maven on Wall Street. He has also been leader of the conservative movement at the Council for National Policy, of which he's now a past president. I'm a member. He is also uh, the host of a terrific TV podcast, The Bill Walton Show, which I strongly commend to you all. He's uh, also one of our regulars, and we're always delighted to catch up with him and uh, usually kick off the week with uh, Bill's insights. It's good to have you with us, sir. Welcome back. Great talking with you, Frank. You're talking to a healthy and happy survivor of the Wuhan virus. Super. Uh, I can report well, on this front. It's not that big a deal. A new, yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a new strain headed our way, and so I hope you are well positioned to uh, with your natural immunities to uh, stave that off. Let me ask you, Bill, uh, we're going to be doing, speaking of China, uh, a webinar about the extraordinary, indeed, almost, I think, unprecedented degree to which one country's financial sector is underwriting the threat posed to that country by another. In this case, uh, Wall Street's uh, use of our pension funds and other, you know, index funds, 401k plans, the like, mutual funds, to uh, to essentially enable all of the various things the Chinese Communist Party is doing to threaten this country. You're going to be participating in a webinar on this subject, I'm very pleased to say, on Thursday of this week from 1 to 2.30 Eastern Time, uh, brought to us by the Committee on the Present Danger of China, of which you and I are members. Um, I, I wanted just to get your thoughts on specifically the topic uh, we've asked you to address, which is what on earth are these masters of the universe on Wall Street thinking as they engage in this kind of um, obviously self-destructive behavior. Well, it's, it's self-destructive to us maybe, but, but they don't see that as self-destructive to them. Well, most if not all of our financial institutions, major financial institutions seem to be proceeding if there's nothing amiss. Uh, we have BlackRock, we have Vanguard, we have JP Morgan, we have Bridgewater Associates, all pushing to do more and more business inside China. In the meantime, their securities operations, at least those of J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, have been raising money for uh, U.S. Uh, or Chinese companies in the U.S. capital markets, and you know maybe to the tune of a, of a trillion dollars of, of money that's going to fund uh, Chinese aggressions. Uh, and and a lot of us are saying, okay, this has got to stop, and we've got to have the people like Jamie Dimon, who runs J.P. Morgan. Uh, um, tell us what uh, tell us what he thinks he's doing that's in America's interest. Well, speaking of Jamie Dimon, uh, what we saw him uh, do recently after a trip to Hong Kong and I believe other parts of China as well um, was crack a joke. But by the time he got back to the United States, he thought not only better of it, but he decided that he was going to, in the most craven way, uh, prostrate himself, as the Chinese like to say, kowtow, uh, before Emperor Xi. Um, to apologize for uh, suggesting Jamie Dimon's J.P. Morgan might outlast the Chinese Communist Party. Um, well, what did that tell us, that episode about, um, you know, the relative power dynamic and also the subservience now of these companies to the Chinese Communist Party? One of the reasons we like Jamie is he's, he's unlike most CEOs, able to try to Use some humor to make his point, and he was making a point that J.P. Morgan had been around for 100 years, and 
so did the Chinese Communist Party, and he bragged that uh, J.P. Morgan would outlast the uh, Chinese Communist Party. That was not well received in Beijing, and so he no he, sense of humor. Those Chicoms. <laughs> no, no, that's not that's not their long suit. I, I don't know. They're not doing a lot of stand up in uh, in Beijing. Uh, so anyway, he 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 went back and he apologized and he had regret and should not have made that comment. I was trying to emphasize the strength and longevity of our company, and then he said something else <clears throat> that was even. You know, I didn't mean to denigrate any group of people, whether it's a country, you know, the usual grovel. But the, the Chinese official response to this is delicious. They called it, we welcome his sincere reflection on his remarks. Sincere reflection that apparently wasn't sufficiently sincere the first time he did it. So he had to do it again, apparently, <laughs> uh, with even, even more grumbling. Yeah. Very, uh, very know, sincere. JP Morgan has roughly $20 billion of exposure to, to China. I think it's probably more than that. That's the number I've seen. And, and in terms of its footing, which are trillion dollars plus, it's not that big a deal. But strategically, JP Morgan sees China as the second largest market in the world with all those uh, uh, consumer savings dollars that it wants to be managing. And, uh, um, you know, he wants to make nice with the Chinese Communist Party because he likes their position there. Well, this is, I guess, what we're going to be exploring uh, with you, among others, uh, in our webinar uh, from the Committee on the Present Danger of China on Thursday, 2nd of December, from 1 to 2.30. Please register for it at um, the presentdangerchina.org website, uh, because we'd love to have you on the question of, are you investing in our destruction? Let me turn to another topic, uh, not unrelated, uh, that uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of. A couple of companies in China that have been undergoing considerable turmoil, sort of reinforcing the general point that maybe investing in these companies, especially without you know getting the full audits and you know the kind of transparency that, say, American companies are obliged to provide um, under Sarbanes-Oxley, a sweetheart arrangement that Joe Biden actually was responsible for negotiating back in May of 2013 when he was vice president. One is Didi, a ride-sharing app that uh, had a very hot IPO on Wall Street and then almost immediately um, uh, went cratering because of uh, Xi Jinping's machinations, as I understand it, Bill. Then the other is uh, Evergrande, the real estate company that seems to be defining uh, a bubble in a whole new dimension. Talk about those two companies, if you would, and what is happening to them and what it might mean for investors, uh, whether it's the BlackRock types or us. Well, well, let me take Evergrande first, because it relates to the earlier point I made about China welcoming U.S. securities firm into, uh, into the country. China has a very primitive investment uh, sector. And if you're a Chinese investor, a retail investor, your primary way to invest has been uh, real estate. And specifically, there's a lot of speculation in, in, in single family housing. And they've tremendously over-invested in this. And the biggest player is a company called Evergrande. We've talked about that before. And Evergrande is uh, uh, in a situation now where its assets, or its, its debt is equal to about 150% of its assets. Uh, 
its interest coverage is negative, which means it has, doesn't have enough cash flow to pay interest on the debt outstanding, uh, let alone the, hundreds, the billion, tens of billions of dollars it owes its suppliers. And then, you know, as, a, as an ex-banker, you say, okay, well, their assets, what's the coverage? Well, it turns out all the assets are mainly, 90% of their assets are unfinished uh, uh, residential housing, which if you had to take it out and sell it in the market would fetch almost nothing. Or, and so what the Chinese are doing here is they're orchestrating a, a government-sponsored bankruptcy, and they're going to be taking these assets from uh, Evergrande and, and putting them into, quote, state-sponsored entities. And, you know, this is another big problem with the Chinese capital markets is they never admit failure. Nothing goes bankrupt. Everything goes into a new entity. And so they've got a lot of dead assets in, in thousands of companies uh, in the country. And the Chinese Communist Party is going to work to spin these plates. And it's, it's not just Evergrande that's, uh, that's uh, in trouble. They've also got issues with a couple of other, many of the other smaller real estate developers, all, their financials all look pretty much the same. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Beijing uh, manages through this mess. But the bottom line, Bill, uh, is if you, if you wound up putting money into uh, Evergrande um, or your pension fund manager, did or your index fund uh, BlackRock or somebody else manager did, um, you have lost presumably your shirt and it doesn't sound as though you're going to benefit from a, a bankruptcy arrangement, do you think? Well, it, it gets back to relating to our first point. Ray DeLeo, who runs Bridgewater, is plunging ahead with yet another fund in China and uh, he still thinks Americans ought to be diversified into, into Chinese and they have old Chinese companies in their portfolio. Well, let's talk about the fact that the uh, Chinese Communist Party basically put the private sector tutoring businesses out of business. So if you had a, an investment there, it was a wipeout. Yet, yet uh, Mr. DeLeo thinks he's got, uh, you know, profound insights the rest of us don't have. And he says, Western observers have missed out on what's going on in China and probably will continue to miss out. Um, well, sounds pretty um, honest. And, and, and quickly, uh, what have we missed out on in Didi? Well, Didi is a, it's a, it's, it's a, China's equivalent of uh, Uber. It's a ride sharing company. And against the wishes of the Chinese government. They went public in the U.S. last year, and or maybe earlier this year. And it's a $38 billion company, and it's owned by 58% of the shareholdings owned by the, uh, the two uh, founders. And of course, China's also cracking down on their self-made billionaires. And what China's done is they've, they've ordered uh, Beijing, or not Beijing, uh, Didi, to delist from the New York Stock Exchange, in effect doing what uh, what we'd like them to do. But anyway, they are concerned, and it, this order came from the Cyberspace Administration of China, and they're concerned about leakage of sensitive data, uh, which I find, and you must find, sort of amusing because they've been mining our data in our countries uh, for years. Uh, you know, but it's, uh, you know, they're going to try to relist it in Hong Kong. It's unclear whether that will even satisfy its own desire to, to reduce its exposure to, to, to data security concerns. Uh, but this is all sort of also linked to Xi's uh, 
vision of sharing the wealth and common prosperity. And he wants a, he wants the owners of Didi to be a symbol of how you can't get out over your skis and make too much money because it's not being fair to the rest of the Chinese. Yeah, this is this is a really chilling signal uh, to American investors. I mean, if you think you're a New York Stock Exchange company, thirty eight billion dollars market cap, and then the Chinese government orders it out of the country. Uh, what does that mean for any one of your other investments? Precisely the question we will be exploring in our webinar on Thursday. And I thank you very much for teeing it up so nicely. Uh, Bill, let me quickly, before we run out of time with you, just ask you, um, we're having um, in the next couple of weeks, uh, the drama in Washington play out in which um, Democratic legislators uh, working with the Biden team team uh, are going to try to ram through the Senate uh, this uh, so-called build back budget reconciliation bill. It, it goes by various names, but it has as a common motif. It will be staggeringly expensive, far more so than is advertised, and it will set in motion a whole new host of uh, major entitlement programs and otherwise uh, increased government spending. And I just would ask you, as a student of these matters, uh, what is the likely implication of, um, for, well, our budget, for our uh, economy, and for our polity? Well, there are a lot of implications for the, the Build Back Better bill. And, and one of the first takeaways is that almost no Americans really know what's going on with these bills. In fact, many of them don't even know they exist. And that's a, that's a function of the mainstream media. Uh, not covering what's in them on purpose, because what they're proposing to do is, uh, uh, you know, the bill concludes things like increasing the IRS agents, uh, audit agents by 80,000 people. Uh, they want a tax credit of up to $50,000 for journalists. There's a big provision in there for payments to illegal uh, immigrants. Plan uh, encourages, a, a quote, a rapid transition to electric vehicles, even though we do not have the batteries to support an electro, electrical vehicle fleet in America. And it goes on and on and on. And the implications are terrible because it's not paid for, uh, it can't be paid for, and will have to mean, it means that we'll be adding more and more debt to the 28 to 30 trillion dollars of debt we currently have outstanding. And, and just to put that in perspective, that's roughly, roughly 130% of the, maybe 140% of the U.S. gross domestic product, GDP. And that's in historical uh, uh, measurements uh, higher than it was during World War II when we were fighting uh, the Germans and the Japanese and really mortgaged our country to, to protect our freedom. Now we're mortgaging our country to to basically pay off uh, all, the, all the wish list of the, of the progressive Democrats. Yeah, to protect Joe Biden, I think, is what it comes down to. Um, Bill Walton, this is uh, an ominous um, prospect, needless to say. Uh, we'll be watching closely whether um, one or two Democratic uh, members of the Senate will stand up against this uh, insistent pressure to give the American people all kinds of free stuff, as they say, uh, only to have it um, redound terribly uh, to, I think, both, you know, in the end, uh, those people, but also the rest of us as well. And uh, we'll be looking to you for a continuing reportage on all of that, as well as uh, the products of your terrific television program, the podcast. Three, the three, 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 three words, Frank, three words. 
kill the bill. Kill the bill. This can't Indeed. see the light of day. We've got to pull, we've got to be all in on killing this bill. From your lips to God's ears. Thank you, my friend. Good to talk with you. We'll do it again next week. Meantime, stay well, Bill. Next up, we'll speak with Elaine Donnelly about what is being put into the National Defense Authorization Act before the Senate this week. That and more right after this.